0: What's Good Boys and Girls Two-Footed Podcast on Monday, the 17th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company, located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Do also remember to check out the EPL Roundtable podcast, which comes out on the EPL Roundtable feed. Just search EPL roundtable in your podcast provider. And you will get Kevin DeVries and his gang every week. There is also the Tad Predictable at Tad Predictable Podcast, hosted by Tadiwa, comes out on this feed late in the week before match days. He might have two this week, given it's a double match week. So keep an eye for that. Right, folks, we had a full slate of Premier League games starting Friday, ending yesterday. And the thing that stood out to me the most was that the standard of officiating in the Premier League is once again in the toilet. We saw some absolutely shocking decisions made by officials yesterday. And it was a little bit of a trend over the, the whole weekend. So let's start with Friday night, Brentford 2, Brighton nil. Two goals for Ivan Tony, The first, a lovely backheel flick. The second, a penalty. But I have to say, Brighton were the better team here. David Rea made four unbelievably good saves. The last one of which from Lewis Dunk, Dunk might have been offside, but Rea didn't know. David Rea was sensational in the game. And, you know, you've got Brighton having 73% of the ball. 21 shots seven on target to seven shots and three on target from Brentford other than picking the ball out of the net twice Robert Sanchez and he made one save uh, whereas Raya was busy from minute one to minute 90. but this is a great win for Brentford a, a win that they kind of needed at this point having not won any of the last three games. Moves them up to ninth in the league. That's now 13 points from their 10 games played. Uh, They seem to be avoiding second season syndrome for now. And they're playing good football. They They were quite strong defensively in this game, which I think was a necessity for them, considering how well Brighton moved the ball. Moises Caicedo was again the standout player for Brighton. He was absolutely sensational. The best player on the pitch for this game. And I just really can't see him being at Brighton from for much longer. Now, the Enoch Mwepu retirement might mean that he has to stay until next summer, but there will definitely be bids coming for him in January. That kid is absolutely phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to seeing him at the World Cup up against the best, allegedly, that the world has to offer. Uh, For Brighton, they are seventh. That is now back-to-back defeats. They have not won yet under Roberto De Zerbi, but I'm confident that as the weeks go by, they will pick up results that's too good of a team to go much longer without a victory. Um, They could do with an injection of goals. That's been an issue for three years now, but they're still playing good football, they're still creating good chances. And if not for a brilliant performance by David Rea, they would have had at least one, if not two goals in that game on Friday night. Moving into Saturday, then in the early kickoff, Leicester nil, Crystal Palace nil. It wasn't quite as bad a game as a nil nil sounds. There was some decent football played. Uh Chiesi was fun to watch and Madison had a couple of good chances I thought uh, Kieran Jewsbury Hall played very very well in midfield for Leicester I have to say I think if it wasn't for the fact that they're almost certainly losing Yuri Thielmann's next summer for nothing and that James Madison is probably going as well I think there'd be queues, teams queuing up to look at Jewsbury Hall but I just don't see that Leicester would sell him if they're losing the other two as well But he, for me, was the standout player in this game. It's a point for Leicester. It's a point they could desperately do it. It keeps them off the bottom of the table. They are 19th with five points from 10 games. A goal differential of negative nine, which when you've scored 15 goals, that's a big concern. That is a really big concern. For Palace, they're 13th. They have 10 points from nine games. Their game in hand is against Brighton, which is obviously a rivalry game for the two clubs. So nothing guaranteed in that one. But even if if form is against them going into it, they'll believe they can pick up something against Brighton. Overall, this is a much better result for Palace when you're going away to a good team. And regardless of the fact that Leicester are sitting in 19th, there's a lot of good players in that team. I mean, James Justin is a good player. Faze looks a good player. is a decent player. Sumari's a decent player. The four across the midfield are, are excellent. Madison, Tielemans, Jewsbury Hall and Barnes. That's an excellent midfield. And Patsundak is a promising striker. And then you see what's coming off the bench in the shape of Vardy and Ian Acho and Dennis pryor They're all good players. Caglius Seanchu, if I was him, I'd be fuming. They refuse to let you leave in the summer and Daniel Amarty is starting ahead of you in the absence of Johnny Evans. He should be absolutely livid. I'm not sure how Danny Ward remains in goal, but at least he didn't concede any silly goals this weekend. Um, Wolves won Nottingham Forest nil. Wolves winning on the pitch and in social media. Before the game, Nottingham Forest's official account tweeting out a picture of Emmanuel Dennis with some Wolf Cubs uh, under the caption, playtime, uh, Wolves winning 1-0 and then tweeting out a picture of an axe in buried into a chopped down tree with playtime's over. Uh, credit to the Wolves admin, that is outstanding. Uh, Ruben Neves with the only goal of the game here from the penalty spot. Wolves are the better team. Rain at Nuri had a couple of good chances in the first half. He is a sensational young left-back. He is absolutely phenomenal and if Costa Simicus does look to leave Liverpool next summer, he would top my list of people I would want coming in to replace him as a backup to Robertson who will become the first choice left-back. He is phenomenally good. Um, Forrest did have a chance to equalise and get a point. When they were awarded a penalty, but Jose Sa made a really strong save from Brennan Johnson. I thought the better chances fell to to Wolves, if I'm honest. I thought Max Kilman's header was a really good chance. The the first of the two eight Nuri chances I thought was a good one. Um far as look, it wasn't that they were bad. It this was a, a fairly evenly matched game. I just thought Wolves were that little bit better and probably just edged deserving the win. Wolves climb out of the bottom three. Big win for them. Big, big win for them. And now, obviously, they can focus in on getting a new manager through the door. They needed this victory. And I've said it all season, th- their performances have been better than their league, but then their results and their league position... They've been good in most of their games this season. But the lack of firepower really has hurt them. So nice to see them pick up a win. And hopefully it's the first of a few and they can climb back up the table. With the table being so condensed right now, like Forest are bottom. Forest have five points. Wolves are 17th with nine points, four-point gap. You go four points above them, You hit Liverpool in eighth. That's how condensed the league is right now. From Liverpool in eighth to United in fifth is three points. It's really, really tight. Really, really tight in the league right now. You're looking at from fourth to 20th. Chelsea to Forest is only 14 points. So it's all very condensed. You can't really take anything from the league table at this point. This is just form. This isn't level. Um, for Forrest, it's a little bit of a concern. I still think they're going to be fine. Now, I might be saying I think they'll be fine a week after they've been gated, but I do think they'll be okay. I think Cooper has enough about him. I think the players there are good enough, but he needs to stop playing Steve Cook. Because Steve Cook is a complete liability. He needs to stop playing him immediately. He is not good enough to play in the Premier League. Has never been good enough to play in the Premier League. Um, Moving on then. Fulham 2. Bournemouth 2. Bournemouth started this game brilliantly. An outstanding goal from Dominic Solanke. Lovely interplay between him and Philip Billing. He played it into the channel for Billing. He cut in off the left into the little channel for Billing. Billing with the cutback and Solanke with the first-time half-volley. Brilliant goal. Uh, Issa Dayop equalised on 22 minutes with a powerful header from a set piece. But seven minutes later, Jefferson Lerma slotted home to give Bournemouth their advantage back. Fulham played well from that point. They had struggled to that point, but they did play well after this. They should have had a penalty. Tim Ream, I think it was Solanke he pulled back. No, it wasn't. It was Ryan Fredericks. Ryan Fredericks burst into the box and Tim Ream hooked his arm and pulled him back. It should have been a penalty. It wasn't given. But Fulham got a penalty on 52 minutes. I don't really understand what happened here, but I'm not arguing against the penalty. Jefferson Lerma was trying to defend Mitrovic at a set piece. And was facing him. And did have a hand on him. But then Mitrovic sort of wrapped his arms around Lerma. And fell backwards. And seemed to bring Lerma on top of him. But it may well be that it was Lerma's. Kind of grabbing and twisting that. sent Mitrovic falling. It all seemed a bit messy. And we, I didn't see a great replay of it. Uh, but penalty given. Penalty scored. Mitrovic stepped up. and Nobody was going to doubt him from there. So uh, Bournemouth are 10th with 13 points from their 10 games, and Fulham are 11th with 12 points from their 10 games. So both of them will be really pleased with how their seasons have gone. Bournemouth will be absolutely thrilled with how their season has gone after the start that they had. Like, just consider their start of the season. So they beat Villa. Then they get walloped by City they get comfortably beaten by Arsenal, who you felt could have gone up a couple of gears. And then Liverpool pumped them 9-0. And Scott Parker says, we'll get beaten again like this this season. And from there, Gary O'Neill comes in. They draw it home to Wolves. They beat Forrest away. They draw away to Newcastle. They draw it home to Brentford. They beat Leicester. And they draw it full, unbeaten, under Gary O'Neill. And surely... Surely he's got to be considered as the permanent manager. Surely at this point, you don't want to risk making a change and it going catastrophically wrong. In his six games in charge, they've won two and drawn four. No defeats. Defensively, they've been really strong compared to the open-door policy they seem to have under um, Scott Parker. I just don't know how you don't give it to him on a permanent basis. Like, what more can he do? Ten points from six games. Do that across the course of a season. And that is absolutely exceptional. Across the course of the season, that's an over-60-point season. You'd be, what, probably challenging for Europa Conference League? What at 60, let's have a look. So if we say if we say to be 62 points, last season 62 points would have had you sixth. You'd have got Europa League. The season before, you would have been seventh or eighth, depending on your goal difference. The season before, you'd have been 5th or 6th, depending on your goal difference. The season before that, you'd have been 7th. Now, I'm not saying he could sustain that across the season. Of course he couldn't, but that's the type of level he has them playing at. He has them playing like a top 8 Premier League team. Bournemouth. And it's even more impressive given how bad they'd been before he took over. Fulham no wins in the last three, only one win in the last five and three defeats in that. But I, I thought there was really good fighting spirit to come back from behind twice in this game. Um, and they did have some opportunities that maybe they could have won the game. But all things considered, the the draw was the fair result. Uh, the last of Saturday's games then was the most unwatchable of the weekend's games. Tottenham 2, Everton 0. Everton came and parked buses. That's what they did. They had one good chance in the first half. Uh, one and a half good chances in the first half. Onana should have scored. Broke up play in midfield. Drove forward by himself. And unfortunately the ball was on his left foot. And it just took a little lift as he went to strike. And it sailed over the bar. But he was impressive. But Everton's brand of football is the most unwatchable thing in the league right now. It is absolutely horrifying to watch them try and play football. Spurs got their goals through a Harry Kane penalty. Uh, Jordan Pickford spilled a fairly straightforward shot and Kane got onto it. Pickford tried to pull out of diving out of his feet, but his head and shoulder sort of caught Kane and sent him down. It was a penalty. There's no debate. Kane stepped up, scored. Pickford got a fingertip to it, but couldn't keep it out. And on 86 minutes... Pierre-Emile Heusberg wraps it up. Bentoncourt breaks down the right, squares it across. Heusberg sets himself. The shot takes a little clip off Iwobi's thigh and just lifts it out of the reach of Pickford's little arms. And uh, 2-0 to Tottenham. A well-deserved 2-0. Tottenham were the better team. Not that their football was great to watch either, but it was vastly superior to what we saw from Everton. Everton, they are unwatchable. They genuinely are. Uh, so Everton are 14th with 10 points from 10 games. They've scored eight goals. Only four teams in the league. Sorry, only three teams in the league have scored less. Wolves, who don't play with strikers. Aston Villa, their manager's going to get sacked. And Nottingham Forest, who are bottom of the league. What's keeping Everton afloat right now is the defensive record. They've only conceded 11 but it's because they're parking the bus and playing such defensive football. I mean, a back five, a flat back five with three ball winners in midfield. Now, Iwobi's not necessarily a natural ball winner, but that's the role he's playing this year and then looking to hit Gray and Mope on counterattacks and long balls. Um, It's unwatchable stuff. It really is. It's unwatchable. Tottenham are third in the league, 23 points, level on points at Manchester City, same goals conceded as City, but City have scored 11 goals more because they have a a cyborg. Uh, Harry Kane is having his best ever start to a Premier League season. uh, Thus far this year, Mr. Kane, who usually took August and September off, has nine goals in 10 Premier League outings. Uh, 10 and 14 in all competitions and well on his way to another high 20s, 30-goal season. Um, Very, very impressive for Kane. Now, if it weren't for the Cyborg, he'd be the clear favourite for the Golden Boot, but I don't think he was getting it off Halland. But I think I'll probably talk with this tomorrow. I'm really enjoying the rise of the Premier League number nine. I think we've got lots and lots of really really exciting number nines in the league right now and Kane is the old the elder statesman of them but all these new younger ones as well just it's an awful lot of fun and I'm really enjoying seeing that come back into the game Kane's kind of like a nine and a half like he's a nine who could could also play as a 10 with the right partner but he, he's brilliant back to goal. His link-up play, his hold-up play is great. He does all the old-school number nine things and then has a little bit more. That's why he's the best in the league. Haaland will score more goals in this season, but Kane's a better footballer than Haaland. I mean, it would, would be ridiculous to claim otherwise. Kane is just a far more rounded footballer than Haaland. Um, yeah, I might talk about that tomorrow, actually, because I've got some got a lot of thoughts on it, surprisingly. Uh, unlike me to have thoughts on things. Um, yeah, good win for Spurs. Moving on. Sunday, five games on a Sunday because of European commitments. Southampton won, West Ham won. Southampton go one nil up through Romain Perrault on 20. A little bit of controversy about this one because as Kyle Walker-Peters took his throw in in the lead-up to the goal, his foot was clearly over the line and it probably should have been given as a throw the other way. Uh, but it wasn't, and parole's shot took a little bit of a nick, I think, from the edge of the box and found its way past Fabianski, who prior to that had made a good save to keep West Ham level. Declan Rice would equalise on 64. Really nice goal. Really nicely worked goal and really good shot to finish it off. Um, West Ham were the better team in this game. There is absolutely no way to argue that. I thought Scamacca was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Anything you would want in a number nine, he showed. And I think he could develop into maybe not a player who gets as many goals as Kane, but has that same type of all-round game. His link-up play, the way he works the channels, how hard he works, how good he is at pressing, how well he reads the game, how good he is in the air, the absolute venom in his shot, the ball flies off his foot. And the way he improvises, there was a cross played to him and it was kind of too high for a volley, but too low for a header. So he like threw a flying knee at it and nearly buried it in the top corner. I love this lad. I think he is sensational. I don't think he'll be at West Ham for much more than maybe this season and next. That's no disrespect to West Ham. I just think he's destined for the very top. I love his attitude. I love the aggression he plays with. I think this West Ham team are going to be really, really fun. They're still figuring out some things. Uh, I think Moyes needs to figure out that his best goalkeeper isn't Fabianski. I think he needs to start putting Flynn Downs in midfield a bit more often. I did like seeing the back three. Thought that was fun. And I'm curious to see if he'll stick with that once he gets uh, Zuma back and Agard back. Because Carrera, Zuma, Agard is a back three. That seems to work. Emerson is a natural wing back. Um, Sufal, they probably need to upgrade on him. Downs and Rice. And then Bowen and Skamaka with Paqueta kind of floating from behind and out to the left. You've also then got uh, Max Cornet when he comes back as another option. So it does seem to suit the players they have to play a back three if they can get a right wing back in January. That's the one flaw they don't have. I'm not a big fan of Emerson, but he's certainly better as a wing back than full back. Cresswell can also play as a wing back, played left side centre back in this one, and actually to, to his credit had a really good game, as did Ben Johnson on the other side. Um for Southampton it's it's a good result. It's a good point. Now they are in the bottom three. They have eight points from their eighteen game from their ten game, sorry. They had lost four in a row coming into this one though. So turning it around is is really important right now. And That's a good point to get against a West Ham team that had found a little bit of form recently. There did seem to be an injury to Belakocic. We'll hope that's nothing too serious because he's obviously had a brilliant start to the season. I think that partnership with him and Salisu is starting to really take shape. And I thought Basunu had his best game for Southampton in this game as well. um, Could do nothing about the Rice goal, but made some big saves. Maitland Niles did pretty well as the sitting midfielder, but they'll be really looking forward to getting Romeo Lavia back. There's a lot of talent in that team. It's just again, like with Wolves and a couple of others, you do wonder: is there enough goals there to keep them afloat? They probably have to address that in January. They're another club that may well be looking to move the manager on. Uh Manchester United nil. Newcastle nil. as soon as you saw the United team sheet, you knew they weren't scoring with Cristiano up front. Uh, he did try and cheat to score, but was booked for his trouble. Newcastle, some impressive time wasting in this game from the tune. Uh Bruno Guimara, for me, the pick of the bunch again while he was on the pitch, I just, I just think he looks he just looks different class. Like he just plays the game in a way that most others would struggle to, and he makes it look really, really easy. It's a great player. The best player Newcastle have bought so far since they got all the money by quite a distance. Um Marcus Rashford came on, and I thought he did pretty well, but he should have scored. He got himself in some good positions, got in the end of some things, did far more in his time on the pitch than Cristiano had in his Um, but probably should have scored from the headed opportunity that he had. For Manchester United, they are now 5th in the league, uh, 16 points from 9 games. Their game in hand is against Leeds. Newcastle are 6th with 15 points from 10 games. Toon only lost once this season. They've managed to find ways to pick up points all along the board. Obviously, they got two recent wins after a long run of draws, but as long as they keep picking up points and this progress from last year, I think everybody up in the north will be very happy. Um Aston Villa nil, Chelsea two. Villa were really unlucky in this game. Like, really unlucky in this game. Kepa. If you see a team of the week, and we're going to look at Gareth Crooks in a while and it doesn't have Kepa as the goalkeeper, it's just wrong. As good as David Rea was, this performance from Kepa was one of the best goalkeeping performances I've seen in the last couple of years. He was absolutely incredible. The the triple save he made in the first half was just sensational. Philip played some decent football in this game. And I saw some people rush to blame the attackers for letting Gerrard down, wasn't really the case. The attackers did everything they could, but Kepa was just phenomenal. Now, I don't think Gerard helped himself by leaving John McGinn on for as long as he did, or for taking off Leon Bailey, who was actually playing really, really well. Um, but all things considered, Villa should consider themselves really unfortunate not to have gotten at least a draw here. Uh, Mason Mount scored on six minutes and then scored an absolutely outstanding free kick on 65 minutes to give Chelsea the three points. Chelsea are fourth in the league, 19 points from nine games. Their game in hand is against Liverpool. They have really started to purr in the last couple of games. Now, again, element of good fortune in this one because Kepa hasn't played that well in the three or four years that he's been at the club. But he was absolutely on point in this one. And it may well be that Edward Mendy is not getting back into that team. If Kepa plays like that, like like that, I don't know how you drop him. I really don't know how you drop him. Now, his big issue has been Shots from outside the box—that's been the the biggest knock on Keppa, and we'll see how that works in the coming weeks. But if he keeps playing like that, he's staying in that team. There's no doubt about it. Um, Chelsea did have some other chances and potentially could have gotten another goal. Raheem Sterling uh, hit the crossbar, and you know was was quite unfortunate. But Villa played well. This was a good step forward for them in terms of performance. They just need to start getting results because right now they're 16th in the league, nine points, one point ahead of Southampton, who are in 18th. They have one win in the last five. They had been drawing games and picking up points and that was a positive, but they've really got to start turning things around or, or Gerard is going to be out in his ear. Uh, Chelsea 4th, 19 points and looking like a team that will make the Champions League this for next season, like I said they would. Um, I don't see... I mean, they are eight points off Arsenal. But if I had to bet, like Liverpool obviously are the one that everybody's looking at. They're sitting in in eight. But I, I would still pick Arsenal as the one to miss out. In a large part, I think we saw a lot of the reasons in the Leeds game. Leeds nil, Arsenal one. I thought Arsenal were poor, and I get that they won and winning when you don't play well is a good sign. But I mean, the goal that Saka scores on 35 minutes, Mellier should be ashamed of himself for letting. What is he doing? What is he doing? There's absolutely no way Saka should be scoring from there. Um, the Bamford goal that was disallowed was a disgrace. He just uses his body. He doesn't push him. He just uses his body. He's just stronger than him. That goal should have counted. Bamford then misses a penalty. And then Gabriel gets sent off and Leeds get another penalty. And then they watch it on the replay and decide not to send him off and not to give a penalty. So what had happened was Bamford sort of ran up to him. There's been a bit of a back and forth. Bamford runs up, gives him a little bit of a shove. Gabriel falls over. He kicks out at Bamford. And he does catch him. Now, even if you're saying it's not a penalty because Bamford initiated it, that's okay. But still a red card. He still kicked out on him. It's still violent conduct. That's two weeks in a row now Arsenal have been the recipient of multiple very favourable decisions by the officiating crew. In the Liverpool game, there was three big calls that were all wrong. The offside on Saka, the Gabriel handball, and the penalty that Gabriel Jesus was given for falling over. In this one, the Bamford goal should have stood and Gabriel should have been sent off. Arsenal are top, 27 points. They're not winning the league. Liverpool have played them in Man City back-to-back weeks. And let me tell you, Man City are a whole lot better than Arsenal. A whole lot better than Arsenal. If Liverpool had played even half as well against Arsenal as they did against City yesterday, they'd have won that game, even with the corrupt referee. Um, Corrupt might be a bit strong, but you know what I mean. Um, Arsenal are, they're a good team. They're certainly a better team than last season. And there's nice balance to their team. I do think they need to start getting Tommy Asu back in at right back because White adds a lot on the ball, but Tommy Asu is so much better defensively. You can tell they're missing Zinchenko in their build-up play a lot. They're missing him a lot in their build-up play because Jacques is really enjoying getting forward this year and Zinchenko has been able to fill that space in midfield and be kind of a hub for them, like an outball. It just hasn't been there this year. I thought Martinelli had a bit of a quiet game uh, up against um, Christensen, who was very good. Leeds are 15th, nine points from nine games. As I said, their game in hand is United. Uh, Again, they need to start picking up results. That's three defeats in four, no wins in five. Leeds need to start getting some points on the board. It's so tight down there that you know, you could see anyone from Everton, even though Palace are on the same points as Everton, I still think Everton, Leeds, Villa, Wolves, Southampton, Leicester and Forest. you could see any of them ended up in that bottom three and staying there for a while. I still think Bournemouth and Fulham will come back to that group and end up in that bottom three. But for now, they're comfortable in mid-table. Like I said earlier, you don't read anything from the table after nine or ten games um last game of the weekend then Liverpool won Manchester City nil i've talked about this over on the daily red so won't go into the game here do want to highlight a couple of things though uh number one liverpool fans who threw coins at city fans or at pep guardiola should be ashamed of themselves now It seems like the coin throwing was in response to some particularly vile chanting and singing from the Manchester City fans, uh, which is very, very disappointing to see. Um, There's no reason at all to throw anything at Pep Guardiola. No reason at all. That is disgraceful. And if the same thing happened to Jurgen Klopp somewhere, you'd be outraged by it. So don't be at that. Um, Liverpool issued a statement after the game condemning the vile chants about um, football stadium tragedies that emanated from the Manchester City end repeatedly through the game uh, both about Heysel and about Hillsborough and it wasn't a minority It was the majority of those there. And that's really disappointing. It's really disappointing. Manchester City fans have let themselves down here. Now, their club have followed that up by letting themselves down as well. So, rather than issue a statement regarding their fans' behaviour, City have leaked it out that they are unhappy with Jurgen Klopp's comments in the press last Friday. Which just seems so strange. They've hinted that they believe it was racially motivated. Which again, is just nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Klopp was right in what he said. There are three clubs that can spend whatever they want with no ceiling on their ambition no repercussions when signings don't work out i mean you just need to look at manchester city as examples of this they've currently got benjamin mendy sitting in a jail cell 50 million pound signing doesn't matter they just carry on he wasn't good enough when they signed him so they went and signed another well, 60 million left back who played right back yesterday You know, John Stones didn't work out initially, so they went and signed a £60 million centre-back to replace him in Ruben Diaz. Jack Grealish cost £100 million. £100 million. And Pep Guardiola didn't even look at him yesterday as an option to bring off the bench. Didn't even consider him. What does that tell you about where Pep sees Jack Grealish right now? They're behind against... Their biggest rivals over the last few years in a big game. There's time on the clock, and they don't even consider bringing on £100 million Jack Grealish. Absolutely baffling. But this is what Klopp was talking about. Irresponsible Klopp inflamed tensions such a load of absolute nonsense. Like, there's just no basis for that claim. Um, Man City say this damage to the windscreen of team coach happened on Anfield Road as it left Liverpool yesterday. Uh, So they're claiming their coach had something thrown at it. Guardiola claims that the Liverpool crowd threw coins at him and it, it does it does appear that that did happen. Um, the first time Pep has ever complained about someone giving him money, he's normally quite happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like City need to come out and make a statement and condemn the fact that their fans sang what they sang and stop being so precious that they're being called out for being a state-owned club. Simple as that. I mean, you are state-owned. Why are you pretending otherwise? There's just no logical reason for it. Uh, City are second in the league. That is their first defeat of the season. 23 points, four behind Arsenal. But I have absolutely no doubt that Manchester City will win the league and win it quite comfortably this year. Um, Liverpool are eighth. They do have a game in hand that is away to Chelsea which will obviously be a tough one. But if they win it, they go above Newcastle and above United, though, if United win their game in hand, then they go back above Liverpool. So, yeah, they'd be sixth if they beat Chelsea in their game in hand. Um, yeah, that is the game from the weekend. It was There was a lot of good football played. There was some bad football played. There was a lot of bad refereeing. The referee in the Arsenal-Leeds game had a shocker. The referee, I thought, in the West Ham-Southampton game had a shocker. Uh, Suchek should have had a penalty in that one. I thought, the yeah, the Leeds-Arsenal one is just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. And I thought in the fulham Bournemouth game, I thought he had a couple of poor decisions, especially the one with Tim Ream on Ryan Fredericks. That's a penalty. I'm sorry. Ryan Fredericks is running into the box and Tim Ream hooks his arm. That is a penalty. I get that they're trying to let the game flow, but I mean, we saw Rodri go through the back of Salah yesterday. Not get close to the ball, no free kick given. We saw Bernardo Silva swinging, literally swinging out of Mo Salah, uh, pull him down, no free kick given. He then kicked out with him, kicked out at him with one foot, and threw his elbow back into him, and nothing happened over this. But Jurgen Klopp got sent off for protesting it. It's it's just ridiculous. Guardiola on the pitch, nothing been done about it. Strange. Very, very strange. Um Liverpool obviously won through a solid goal. And they deserved to win. City were good, Liverpool were better. Simple as that. Liverpool executed the game plan to perfection. It's the best performance they put in all season, and they deserve to win. But City will still win the league. I there's absolutely no doubt for me that City will still will still win the league. Uh, We'll take a break, and when we come back, we will check in with Gareth Crooks and see just how wrong he got it this week. And then we'll do the gossip, and we'll be done for the day. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, what has Gareth given us this week? Well, he's wrong straight away. He's gone with Jose Sa. At the goalkeeping position, uh, he saved a penalty, but he was not the best goalkeeper of the weekend, not even a little bit. David Rea was better, and Kepa was significantly better. So that's wrong. Um, he's gone with Lisandro Martinez at left back. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Rein it nearly left back, without question. Tiago Silva. Didn't have a particularly good game. He got run ragged in that first half against Villa. So, no. Joey Gomez, absolutely. And James Milner, I have no complaints. I thought James Milner was excellent yesterday. Uh, Mason Mount scored two, so he's in. Heusberg scored, so he's in. And Saka scored, so he's in. Saka should not be in this team. Saka did not have a particularly good game. And then an attack. Solanke scored. Tony scored. Salah scored. Solanke fine, Salah, fine I Tony got two goals I don't think I'd have him in my team of the week this week I just don't think I'd have him in um, I'd argue against Tony Saka but you could talk me into Tony you couldn't talk me into Saka and there's absolutely no way Martinez Silva or Jose Sa belong in this not even a little bit not even slightly so those are absolute nonsense. I mean, Van Dijk was significantly better than Silva for a start. Um, you could put Mark Gwehi in there. He had a good game for Palace. Max Kilman had a good game for Wolves. Like I said, eight Nuri at left back would be a no-brainer for me off this weekend's games. Um, Tommy Asu, I would definitely consider. Yeah, he could play Kepa at centre-back and maybe David Ray at left-back and just keep Sa, because at least they all played well. Uh, what's he said? Uh, Jordan Pickford has had a fantastic period for Everton recently, but his, so why has Pickford even been mentioned? Like, Pickford was awful against United for both United goals and bad here. Recently, I saw Mickey Gray, I think it was, say that Jordan Pickford was England's best goalkeeper since Gordon Banks. Like, what are we talking about? Peter Shilton, Ray Clemens, both of them vastly superior. David Seaman, vastly superior. Tim Flowers, Nigel Martin, much better than, than this fella. Joe Hart was better than Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford's the worst regular starting goalkeeper I can remember England having. He, him and Paul Robinson, and Paul Robinson, I think, was better. Chris Wood was also better than Jordan Pickford Ian Walker got a couple of caps I don't think he was ever really first choice but I put him on the same level as Pickford but this is a nonsense he did make a penalty save Sad. he did make a penalty save but Kepa was the best goalkeeper of the weekend um, Milner yeah uh, no problem at all he was really really good Gomez was excellent Silva just didn't play well. This is brilliant, though. Thiago Silva, on the other hand, is not just a top-class defender, but he's having to mentor Kaladu Koulibaly and Trevo Chalaba in the process. Kaladu Koulibaly is 31 years of age. He's not being mentored. It's absolute nonsense. absolute nonsense. He's head and shoulders above anyone in the Chelsea backline. It's Just garbage. The man doesn't watch football. And picking Martinez is just hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Um, no issue at Mount. Fine with, with Heusberg. Onana did play really well for Everton. But his, his role was so limited because all they were doing is parking the bus. Um, and I'm really not sure with how Bakayo Saki gets in. But there's no mention of his actual performance other than his goal. So he's in because of his goal. He does make a good point here. Um, he says, I could hardly contain my alarm at the news of Ivan Tony receiving racial abuse from a fan after Brighton had suffered defeat. In May, Tony and Rico Henry said their fa- their families had been racially abused at Goodison Park after Brentford's 3-2 win. Um, yeah, so I saw this Ivan-Tony thing as well, and he tweeted out on Saturday morning the screenshot of what some absolute scumbag sent to him. And then he sent out a screenshot of your man's profile. And I thought he was absolutely right to do that, to expose the guy Uh, whoever he is, whatever age he is, as a racist. And then I saw people siding with the racist and telling Tony he was in the wrong to tweet these things out. Like, what on earth is that? So just to be clear, in the last week, we've seen English people tell Irish people they need to be educated on Irish history. And now we're seeing a black man being told by white people that he should not expose racism because it was a kid that said it. It's even more important to expose it when it's somebody young who can maybe be saved from a life as a racist as opposed to some elf in his 50s or 60s who's just going to be that way because that's just the type of prick he is. I hope this young fella gets pulled aside and gets a proper lesson in life because he needs it. Ivan Tony should not be being told by white people how to react to racism ever. So fair play to Garth Crooks for highlighting that there. Um, what else do we have Newswise? Uh, Stephen Gerrard says he won't hide from B- Villa booze after defeat. You might, you might just want to rain it in a little bit, Stevie, and stop the the, the big I am uh, performances because they're part of why the fans are are fed up with you. Your your attitude and your braggadocious nature uh, has really grated on Aston Villa fans. Kylian Mbappe says he never asked to leave. PSG in January. Uh, you love to see Fabrizio Romano um being the one to you know tweet this out considering he was one of those who rushed to tweet that Mbappé had told PSG that he wanted to leave etc etc. Um some rather sickening news. Um, Mason Greenwood has appeared in court and he has been charged with attempted rape. He is also charged with assault and repeatedly engaging in controlling and coercive behavior. His arrest in January came amid allegations surrounding images and videos that emerged online. The Ford from Bowden spoke only to confirm his name, date of birth and to address and sorry, name date of birth and address at Manchester and Salford magistrates court proceedings were then adjourned by district judge Mark Hadfield who said a decision would be made on the footballers' bail arrangements later. Greenwood has been on bail since January, but was rearrested in Trafford on Saturday for an alleged breach of the conditions. So, I don't know if anyone saw this on social media, but there were some United fans, not all, not even a large portion, but there are a group of United fans who continue to tweet stuff in support of Mason Greenwood and pronounce his innocence and say that they can't wait to have him back in the team. And then they were tweeting out screenshots showing that Greenwood and his ex-partner, who is the, the woman involved in this case, are following each other again on social media. Now, I don't know that they ever unfollowed each other. I just know that they are now following each other. And uh, that is a breach of his bail conditions, one of which was to not have any contact with the victim. So while United fans were celebrating this, what they were actually doing was drawing police attention to the fact that Mason Greenwood had breached the terms of his bail. Um, The the controlling and coercive behaviour relates to a period between November 2018 and October 2022 like, what age is Mason Greenwood? Is he 21, Mason Greenwood? He's 21. He's 21. He'll be, he's just turned 21 as well, which means that in November of 2018, he was 17 years of age, and he was engaging in controlling and coercive behaviour. And the thing is, even if this goes to court and he's found not guilty on, say, the more serious charges, his football career is irreparably damaged regardless because there's video evidence, there's audio evidence, there's photographic evidence of what Mason Greenwood did. And there's no coming back from what he's done. Like, there's another case, obviously, going on that I think most people are aware of it. Um, Most people are aware of who the player involved is. And you're seeing the same type of support for him from fans of that club as you're seeing from certain United fans for Greenwood. So this is not just a thing about United fans. I, I thankfully haven't yet seen any City fans try and protect... Benjamin Mendy, but I'm hopeful that the sheer scale of the allegations against Mendy would mean that anybody who's even considering defending him would just wind their neck in. But stop defending Mason Greenwood. He does not deserve your defence. This is a pattern of behaviour from him that dates back to when he was 17 years of age. 17 And here's to the thing. Remember when Mason Greenwood was called up to the England team in September of 2020 and he and Phil Foden were kicked out of the squad for breaking COVID-19 quarantine guidelines by leaving the hotel to meet up with two other women? Mason Greenwood was in a relationship with this girl who he's charged with Attempted rape and assault and all this other things against. So he was with this girl and that's what he was doing. That shows the type of person that Mason Greenwood is. And he is an appalling human being. An appalling human being. And I hope he never kicks a football again. He has thrown away incredible talent. Incredible natural ability. He has thrown away what could have been one of the great careers. I hope he never kicks a ball again. Let's do the gossip and be done. We have three days worth, which is always nice to run through the ramblings of journalists desperate to fill column inches in October. Uh, We'll start with Saturdays. Real Madrid are not yet considering another move for Kylian Mbappe. However, they are monitoring the performance of Xabi Alonso as Bayer Leverkusen manager with interest. Alonso obviously former Real Madrid player. Perhaps we should let it go more than three games before we start monitoring what he's doing. Uh, perhaps we should give him a chance to actually you know, get settled in. Uh, but the weekend did not go well. The weekend did not go well. They got beaten 5 1 by Eintracht Frankfurt, the same Eintracht Frankfurt that lost to Bochum the week before. So, we'll, uh, you know, they got comfortably beaten by Leverkusen in the week. We should probably uh, hold fire on Xabi Alonso. Mbappe is considering buying himself out of his contract in January. Uh, he now says this isn't true, so I don't know. Uh, PSG are interested in signing Real Madrid's 20-year-old Spanish centre-back Rafa Maron Real Madrid really need to keep him because he's a big big talent and they definitely are short at centre-back they could definitely do with either buying or developing a centre-back who can step up into that first team and maybe make a position his own uh, Inter want to sign Romelu Lukaku permanently in the summer. I would imagine Chelsea would be more than happy to facilitate such a thing. Um, the only thing that makes me think this story isn't through is that he's only played three games. He's he's barely kicked a ball for, um, for Inter because he's been injured. So when is he... What is he doing to show them that he's worth buying, you know? He's played 227 minutes since joining. You're paying, even though Chelsea are paying a lot of his wages, you're still paying a significant chunk of those wages. So my belief is that this story is nonsense. Inter are also interested in Yeri Mina, uh, the single most injury-prone centre-back on the planet. Manchester United are favourites to sign Porto's 23-year-old Portuguese keeper Diogo Costa. He's talented. He's talented, for sure. Uh, United will activate an extension in Diogo de Lott's contract. It's not an extension, it's an additional year. Uh, Newcastle United want to agree a long-term contract with Bruno Gomerich. That is probably the smartest thing they could do. Arsenal would be forced to pay more for... Mikhail Mudrik in January if Shakhtar progress in the Champions League and Shakhtar are looking pretty good in the Champions League, it must be said. Tottenham plan to open contract talks with Antonio Conte next month. I always find this funny. We're midway through this month. Why would you wait? If you're planning to open talks, just sit down and talk to him. Atletico Madrid's 22-year-old Portuguese forward Joe Felix wants to leave the club in January due to his deteriorating relationship with... Diego Simeone, Uh, if they would like to send him in the Liverpool direction, I would be very, very pleased. I adore Joe Felix. Real Madrid are interested in Alfonso Davies. Let's get ready to pay a whole lot of money. Bayern won't sell him for any less than about 100 million. 21 with that level of potential and how good he is already. There's no way. Manchester United could be among the clubs ready, ready to offer Felix a move away from Madrid. He'd be a horrible fit at United. He'd be a horrible fit with how they're playing. Uh, Marco Arnautovic turned down Manchester United, according to his agent. I don't believe that. I think United pulled out that deal because the fans went bananas about it. Um, Belgium defender Wout Faes says he turned in an offer from Chelsea no, you didn't. Chelsea have appointed a new head of recruitment, taking Joe Shields from Southampton. Has he actually left Southampton? Yes, he has. He has. Ralph Hassenhütter has confirmed. it Hassenhütter says it's no big, not not a big loss. Um, I don't know. Manchester City are among the clubs competing to sign 16-year-old Ireland centre-back Sam Curtis, who plays for St. Patrick's Patrick's Athletic. A very, very talented player who is part of a really exciting young crop of of Irish players, especially defenders. There's a really, really exciting crop coming through. Some of them are already through, like you're looking at the likes of Nathan Collins, Um, but there is probably six or seven young Irish centre-backs under the age of 23 who are, and not just centre-backs, some of them play fullback as well, but the best crop we've had in quite a long time. Quite a long time. Probably, it may even be back to like when the likes of Moran, McGrath, McCarthy, O'Leary were coming through in the 70s and 80s. Genuinely could be. England midfielder Declan Rice has no intention of signing a new deal with West Ham despite being offered an eight year contract worth 200 grand a week. Well, offering him an eight year contract is just stupid. Offer him a three year contract on 200 grand a week. Be sensible. Uh, Arsenal and France defender William Saliba is attracting interest in Paris Saint Germain. Newcastle are preparing to offer Bruno Gomerich a club record. 200 grand a week. Atletico Madrid want to sign Leandro Trossard. He'd make sense for them. Felix goes. That kind of wide forward is more a Simeone thing. Uh, Chelsea are interested in Slovakia midfielder Stanislav Lobotka from Napoli. He's been brilliant this season. Really, really good. And if you're looking for a Kante replacement, he's about as good as you'll do. Uh Everton's contract talks with Anthony Gordon have stalled with the twenty-one year old asking for about a hundred grand a week. It's ridiculous. What has he done? He hasn't done anything. Don't don't give him that type of money. Uh Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag sent scouts to watch Raphael Leao. Why? If you don't know enough about him by now, you're wasting your time. Um Liverpool have sent scouts to watch Christopher Nkunku, I have doubts that that is true. I do have doubts that it's true. Although, as a Firmino replacement, it'd make a lot of sense. But Liverpool won't be able to afford them because they've got to fix the midfield next summer. Um, Liverpool have also joined the race to sign Frankie de Jong. Um, Frankie now wanting out, having (laughs) refused to leave in the summer, is quite funny. But maybe it just says more about the fact that he just didn't want to go to Manchester United. Uh, De Jong says Barcelona have put pressure on him to leave. At Manchester United trying to sign him in the summer. United and PSG have inquired about Latour Martinez. It doesn't really make sense for PSG. Could work as he could work at United. He could work at United for sure. Steven Gerrard has told Aston Villa to accept a permanent offer for Bertrand Traore. Uh, Villa might hold off on that before they decide if they're keeping Steven Gerrard as manager. Brentford are set to compete with Tottenham for Sunderland's English left-back, Dennis Kirken. Brentford will make a lot of sense for him. They need a backup left left-wing-back or left-back, and he would fit the bill. Um, Sean Dyche has sent former assistant Ian Wohan to watch Premier League clubs who may soon be on the lookout for new managers, such as Nottingham Forest and Leicester. I hope he's paying him. I do hope he's paying him. Are we sure he Ian Moan wasn't just going to football matches? Like, he lives in Nottingham. Leicester's not that far away. Are we sure he wasn't just going to football matches because he enjoys football? That doesn't seem like it, it's true. It seems like nonsense. Uh, lastly then, Newcastle boss Eddie Howe has ruled out signing Cristiano uh, because of his age and the fact that he's not very good anymore. Magpie striker Alexander Isak is set to be out until after the World Cup following a setback in his recovery from a thigh injury. Am I right in thinking Sweden didn't qualify for the World Cup, did they? I don't think they did. 2022 World Cup. I'm almost certain Sweden didn't qualify but I'll check anyway. Um, No, Sweden did not qualify. so Probably just means he'll be back late November more than anything. Um, Manchester City would face no financial barriers in signing Kylian Mbappe who wants to leave Paris Saint-Germain. The barrier would be that Qatar won't sell to Abu Dhabi. That would be the barrier. Real Madrid are not planning another move, blah, blah, blah. Gareth Southgate would collect a £4 million bonus if he guides the three lines to World Cup glory in Qatar. I would have no problem with that. If you win a World Cup, you should get huge money. Huge money. Tottenham want to start talks with Harry Kane over a new deal, but the 29-year-old is holding off in doing so while Antonio Conte's future is up in the air. Conte, I think, will stay. He seems happy. And Kane, I think, will stay if Conte stays. AC Milan could move for Ruben Loftus-Cheek in January. Potter seems to really like Loftus-Cheek, so he's playing quite a bit. So I don't know if Chelsea be open to a sale. Leandro Bonucci... Sorry, Leonardo Bonucci. Leonardo Bonucci has been linked with a move to Tottenham after asking to be sold in the January transfer window. I don't think he has been asked to be sold. Um... He wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense for Spurs. I know he I know he knows the Conte system inside and out. I suppose you could bring him in, play him in the middle of the back three. I mean, look at Thiago Silva. Um, He's still been hidden in the back three. So, yeah, I mean, just don't do that. No, don't do that. Chelsea were always planning to offer Reese James and Mason Mount new contracts, even before it was sold. Of course they were. Like, This is that Ben Jacobs idiot, I would bet. Yeah, of course it is. Like, you're not a journalist. You're just not. So stop pretending that you are. And people should stop pretending that he's in any way reliable. Uh, Virgil van Dijk says Sadio Mane's departure to Bayern Munich is not to be blamed for Liverpool's poor start to the season. And he is right. Pascal Striek wants to sign a new deal with Leeds. That's good news for Leeds. He's a good player. I do like him. Former Liverpool transfer chief Michael Edwards, who has been linked to Chelsea, wants time to consider his options. If I'm Liverpool, I'm going back to him cap in hand and begging him to come back to the club. Bosnia and Herzegovina midfielder Mirland Pjanic claims Barcelona manager Xavi wanted him to stay at the club and that it was his own decision to leave the new Camp for Emirati side Sharia in the summer transfer window sure it was definitely no absolutely no that definitely happened people just tell lies because no one's ever going to call it's not that's just the case xavi's not going to turn around and say otherwise so he can just lie and nobody's ever going to pick up on it right we will leave it there for today folks and i will see you all tomorrow take care of yourselves bye-bye Network.